Welcome to the Vineyard Church of Greater Portland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Mario Mastin. For more podcasts and other resources, please visit www.vineyardportland.org. This morning, I want to just continue with our uh, series we've been doing on the Holy Spirit. And I promise not to preach as long this week as I did last week. So um, let, me, let me move right along. And uh, what I want to do today is um, <clears throat> to look at the way in which at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit of God came and empowered the disciples, he did so for their life together and also for mission. And, um, and I want you to see this morning how... They, in turn, these disciples that God empowered through the Spirit, how they, in turn, performed something that the Bible calls signs and wonders. And also miracles. These are terms we find in Scripture. Signs, wonders, and miracles. And that they did this through the power of the Holy Spirit. And after we've done that, we're going to ask and answer one simple question, which is, does God want us to operate the same way today? Does he want to use us today as he used them then? You know, in many places around the world today, particularly in the so-called first world, by that we mean the more advanced post-industrial countries, like this one and many others, that are described by sociologists and economists as first world countries, particularly in those countries, people are very skeptical about the existence of miracles. You may even be here this morning and be one of those skeptical people and think, well, miracles, now those don't really happen today. And I'm not really sure they ever did, but maybe they did in the Bible back in the day, but they don't happen now. There's a high degree of skepticism um, and people tend to think in the first world that if we embrace the miraculous, somehow that's inconsistent with being educated. And it's an example of the ignorance of the laws of nature. But I want to submit to you this morning that nothing could be further from the truth. And uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy called C.S. Lewis, who is a great apologist, philosopher, Christian writer, and in his book, Miracles, one of the books he wrote is called Miracles, he said this, nothing can seem extraordinary until you have first discovered what is ordinary. Belief in miracles, far from depending on the ignorance of the laws of nature, is only possible insofar as those laws are known. Knowledge of the laws of nature do not make a mockery of miracles. They provide the context in which we can understand what the miraculous really looks like. So it's only, as Lewis says, when you understand the ordinary defined by the laws of nature that you can understand the extraordinary. You know, often today, even in the church of Jesus Christ around the world, miracles and supernatural activity, the extraordinary, if you like, is dismissed as being irrational and not having a place in today's church. That we have the Word of God, and we have doctrine, and we have theology, and we have the, you know, the testimony of Jesus and what He did, 
Um, and that's all we need. And believers take refuge in a naturalistic form of Christianity that precludes miracles because they do not want to appear ignorant in the world in which we live, and they don't want to be embarrassed. And so they take refuge in this naturalistic form of Christianity. Again, C.S. Lewis addresses that, and he says this. A naturalistic Christianity, in other words, parenthetically, one that excludes the miraculous, the supernatural, a naturalistic Christianity leaves out all that is specifically Christian. That if we actually become naturalistic in our Christianity and eliminate the activity, power, and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit becomes a theological abstraction as the third person of the Trinity, but that's it. Lewis is saying we're leaving out everything that is specifically Christian. In other words, he's saying if you eliminate signs and wonders and miracles from what it means to be Christian, then you leave out that reality that is distinctively Christian. Namely, the supernatural, transcendent work of the Holy Spirit Breaking through in time with new creation kingdom power. The truth is, when someone experiences a miracle, it has a life-changing impact. They don't just turn around and say, give me another cup of coffee. When that happens, something transformative takes place. What the Bible calls signs and wonders in Acts 4, 30 and 31 create in people's lives a dramatic response when they experience them. Signs and wonders awaken us to the fact that we're not alone in the world and not something else. We're not in charge. Jesus' ministry was marked by signs and wonders. You read the Gospels. His ministry was marked, characterized by signs and wonders that awakened people to the presence and power of God. You remember in Mark records that when Jesus preached, they said, hey, the crowd said, what is it about this guy? He speaks with authority, not like the leaders and the scribes and the Pharisees, not like the religious leaders. There's something qualitatively different. He speaks with authority because when he speaks, something happens. Miracles were both an outward, uh, were both outward, like Jesus did healings, he delivered people from the uh, power of demons, and they were inward. He would bring transformation through love and comfort and joy and peace. He would change people's hearts, change them from the inside out. So the miracles Jesus performed were both external and internal. And he did it all through the power of in ministry and under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Here's one of the miracles that <clears throat> probably most of you know uh, that Jesus performed. And it's recorded for us uh, by Matthew in the 14th chapter of his uh, gospel. And this is what he says. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy some food. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. 
You give them something to eat. Uh, We've only got five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. Now notice, he prayed, blessed, broke it, gave it to the disciples, then the disciples gave it to the people. They ate and were, they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So this wasn't the feeding of the 5,000. This was the feeding of 5,000 men and then all the women and the children. Could have been three times that number. With five loaves and two fish. In other words, during a simple table grace, Jesus does the miraculous. That's all he did. He just said, bring it to me. He prayed over it, looked up to heaven, prayed over it, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. In a very low-key, natural way, he did the supernatural. You know, he didn't stand on a big dais. He didn't, you know, have trumpets blasting. He didn't kind of hype it up. He just said, give it to me. Prayed, broke it, gave it to the disciples. They gave it out. And the miraculous happened naturally. He was naturally supernatural. His, he multiplies the meal. Look, a miracle is a sign, and the Bible tells us that, because it points to the fact that God is present and everyone should pay attention. And it's a wonder because people are left in awe and true amazement. And we see this every time Jesus performed the miraculous. It made people understand that God was in their midst. He was present, and they should pay attention to what's going on, and They were struck with an incredible sense of awe and amazement, wonder at what was taking place. The reality is today, all over the world, God is doing stuff. He's doing signs and wonders through ordinary people. It's not extraordinary people. It's ordinary people and extraordinary God. And the extraordinary God does extraordinary things through ordinary people through the power of the Holy Spirit. People who take him at his word, who rely on the person and power of the Holy Spirit, not their own ability. So let's look at this more closely this morning because it really is pretty cool. First thing I want you to see about God is that God is the the God of signs and wonders. I mean, you can't read this book from beginning to end and not see that God is doing signs and wonders from Genesis to Revelation and everywhere in between. Whether it's Moses putting his staff into the Red Sea, or it's Peter placing his hands on uh, a guy who's blind and he receives his sight. God acts in signs and wonders to produce this, the fruit of awareness. I want you to get that, the fruit of awareness. When signs and wonders are performed, when the miraculous happens through the power of God, it generates an awareness of the presence and activity of God in the earth. That God is real and that he is here today and every day. We as Christians 
believe that God is present. He's, yes, he's outside of time. He can't be confined to time, but we believe he's imminent and present in time and at work in the earth and in people's lives for the fulfillment of his purposes. Purpose. We're not deists. We don't believe that God like wound up the universe and then checked out to let it just operate on its own according to natural laws. We believe God is in, intimately involved in what's going on here now in our lives and in this earth. What about the prophetic testimony of Jeremiah? He nailed it when he said this. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. We sang about doing the impossible this morning. Nothing is too hard for you. You perform, look at it, miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued to this day both in Israel and among all mankind, not just in Israel. Insert that into your theology. That little line there opens up a whole perspective that we can pass over. We may think God was only working with his covenant people Israel in the Old Testament. Uh Uh-uh. Both in Israel and among all mankind and have gained renown that is still yours. You can chew on that one for a little bit. Early Jews, you know, were accused of being atheists by the nations around them. I don't know if you know that. They were accused of being atheists. You may think, well, how could they be accused of being atheists when they believed in God? Because they believed in a God, as we saw last week, that Paul actually tells us explicitly in the passages we looked at last week, the same God we believe in who is invisible. Remember what we said last night? Last week, Paul's words to Timothy, when he said that God is invisible, that he lives in unapproachable light, that we, like our forebears in the nation of Israel, are children of Abraham who believe in a God who's invisible. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you believe in the invisible God. Well, back in the day... The nations around Israel viewed Israel as atheist because they believed in an invisible God. In the ancient world, you see, if you believed in God, there had to be a concrete expression of that God, something you could see with your natural eye, feel, touch, bow down before, give obeisance to. Or at the very least, there had to be some physical representation of that God. But you know, God told Israel specifically when he gave the law through the mouth of Moses from Sinai, they were not to make graven images. They were not to make representations of him. He is the invisible God. You know what? Things haven't changed so much. It's kind of like that today. There's rationalism and skepticism. We can't see your God. We can't put him in a test tube. So he doesn't exist. In the book of Exodus, God revealed his invisible person being active. And how did he do it? How in the book of Exodus, when God was taking the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage under the thumb of the Egyptians into the land of promise, how did he orchestrate that? How did he make his 
I am that I am, visible to the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the world around. He did it through miracles and signs and wonders, and he used his servant Moses in order to express that. And the visible gods of Egypt were no match for the invisible God of Israel. John Wimber, who led the vineyard movement for um, a long time, from the early 80s, really, until his death in November 1997, he once said this, that God often offends the mind to get through to the heart. Think about that for a moment. That God often offends the mind in order to reveal the condition of the heart. Miracles shock the system. Naturally speaking, they provide unwavering evidence that the power which is beyond human will or skill is at work in the earth and that that power is the power of God. For that reason, the Holy Spirit has throughout history worked signs and wonders through ordinary Christians who simply believed God and were filled with His Spirit. I think that's the reason that God doesn't you know, God's not into the pedestal thing that we do. You know, somebody starts ministering and we put them on a pedestal. Books are written, you know, films are made. And, and, and the focus goes off of Jesus then. And this person becomes like, wow, are they coming to town? The question is, is God coming to town? That's the question. The thing about miracles is that they turn people's lives around and they communicate the love God has for people in profound and deeply personal ways. The Bible has testimony of many Christians, and many Christians have testimonies that show that that's the case. So what is the role of signs and wonders then? Jesus said that signs would accompany those who believed in his name confirming the power of the gospel and his lordship as Christ. Let me read you the words of Jesus here at the end of the book of Mark. This is what he said. Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And these signs will accompany those who believe. Now, these are the words of Jesus to us. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now, these are Jesus' words, right? Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. So first you have the declaration of Jesus, and then you have the demonstration of the disciples all in the same passage. Jesus said this to them, promised this to them, then they went out and did it. Notice that Jesus commissioned his disciples to work miracles. Jesus never had in mind that he would be the only one to do that. He didn't say, I've come to do this, and you guys can watch, but you're not actually going to get in on this. It's only me that can do this, and I'm going to do it for your benefit, but you just get to be an observer. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Luke 5.17 says, he was present to heal. The Holy Spirit was present to heal, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did what he did in his ministry. He performed miraculous signs. But here's the other thing. He intended 
for his disciples to do the same. That's exactly what it says in the text that they did. The same is true for Jesus' disciples today was true as was true from them then. There's nowhere I can find in Scripture where Jesus says, I now decommission you as disciples. You're not to do any of this anymore. Now, there's an idea floating out there in the body of Christ that somewhere along the line, we've been decommissioned, and we can do some things but not other things. But I can't find anywhere in the Scripture where Jesus decommissions the disciples. I can only find him commissioning them. And commission means co-mission. We co-operate with God in the mission that he has, and we fulfill that through the power, presence, and ministry of the Holy Spirit. As followers of Jesus, we're no longer just to preach the good news, but we're to confirm it. When a sign and a wonder occurs, the Lord is doing just that. The Lord is doing just that. That's what we need to remember when when God uses someone in that way to confirm the word that's been spoken through a miracle, a sign, a wonder, however you want to characterize that, it's God that's at work. He's giving a physical beyond argument sign that this gospel is true and that it's real. In those moments, a sign and wonder such, a, such as a miraculous healing can draw people to a place of faith in Christ in a way that sometimes words will not. And that's not to minimize the power and the authority of the words when they're spoken. And miracles do something else. They reveal the heart. Because you'll see sometimes in Scripture and in the ministry of Jesus where he performs miracles and signs and wonders and some people go, (gasps) and they respond. And they say, you must be Lord in Christ. And others don't. They pull back in disbelief. And they try to undermine Jesus' ministry. And they reject it. So there's something about the work of God that does reveal the heart. The early disciples, you know, were were known for their miracles. And when they performed them, they understood that the power of the Holy Spirit, those that were, were watching them, and the disciples themselves, they understood that the power of the Holy Spirit was coursing through their lives, enabling them to do these things. And all they did as a precursor to that was just believe the Lord and his word. I quoted John Wimber a moment ago. John had another great uh, simple line, definition really of faith. And he defined faith this way. And he used to use this when he spoke, but it's also in his uh, book, I believe, Power Healing. He said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That there is a risk involved in stepping into that which God wants to do and use you in the process of the doing. If we want to see God move and join him individually and also corporately as he shows his love, we have to take the risk of stepping out and doing the stuff of the kingdom. I remember when I read Power Healing by John Wimber, and if you've never read it, it's a phenomenal book and it's a book that needs to be reread. I've read it several times. I need to read it again. In that book, he talks about the fact that for the first year and a half 
roughly that time, where he was a pastor of the Vineyard Church in Anaheim. He was calling the church to pray for God to break in with kingdom power and do stuff. Heal people, for instance. And John went on to have an amazing healing ministry. But for a year and a half, he was praying. People were being brought down the front of the church. They were going to people's homes. They were praying for people, and no one was getting healed. And if you read the book, at the end of that, he's getting really like, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing the stuff? And then he has this amazing, and I I won't take the time to go into it. He goes to someone's home, and basically, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of this. He prays for this person, right? By the way, Reader's Digest is something that used to be printed. (laughs) I I need another way of saying that. How do I say that? Huh? The Twitter version? Maybe. I need another way of saying the shortened version. I'll go with Twitter right now. Okay? But like, he goes to this lady's house, and he's in a very dejected state himself. He didn't really want to go, if I remember the story correctly. He gets there, goes up, she's in bed, she's really, really sick. I mean, it was a serious illness. I can't remember what it was now. And he goes over to her in a very perfunctory kind of way, and he just prays with her. He just kind of wants to get it done and leave. And he prays for her, expecting nothing to happen. So there wasn't even any expectation driven by faith on his part. He just took the risk of going and doing it. Maybe more out of a sense of obligation, if you read the story. He does it. He turns around. He walks to the, uh, it turns his back to her. And he's walking out to leave. And then all of a sudden, she calls out to him, John. And he turns around, and she stands up. She's out of bed, completely healed. The story's there right in uh, Power Healing. And that, be- that began a process in his life of discovery, of gifting, of ministry. But one of the things I want to say is it takes risk and it also takes persistence. And John talks about you know, how many more people he's prayed for that he hasn't seen healed, but that if you're not doing it, you're not going to see it happen at all. So we need, and Jesus talks about this, doesn't he? He's got lots of little parables about persistence, about continuing to knock and go after it and pressing into God. Um, And ordinary Christians all over the world are doing that, including in this country here. But we have to say yes to that moment of risk when we have the opportunity to pray for one another. I don't know about you, but I've been there, and I know the amount of times I've like, no, I shouldn't do that right now. That's going to embarrass this person in this situation, or what happens if nothing happens? I'm going to look a real chump, you know. And, and, And all of those kinds of things that go on, we need to step out and take the risk and realize that the God of the impossible is living in us. And he's the extraordinary one. All we have to be is ordinary and take risks and exercise faith. And you can do that whether you're at the water cooler at work or in the neighborhood where you live or at the church where you worship. Because as the miracles of God's signs and wonders happen in people's lives, in whatever way God does that, boy, it arrests their attention and it does more than that. It can lead to genuine transformation and change where they embark on a relationship with him and then God begins to use them too to touch others the last thing I want to say this morning about this is 
is to just think about signs and wonders in the kingdom of God because we believe in the kingdom of God. It is uh, the foundation stone of our theology as a vineyard church and a vineyard movement. We believe the kingdom of God is just the rule and reign of God made known both now and in the future. That's what we give ourselves to. Signs and wonders are signposts to the inbreaking of God's kingdom. That's what they are. To the, they are signposts to the inbreaking of his dynamic rule and reign. So how can we participate in pointing to the presence of the king and his kingdom in our day? Because we don't live 2,000 years ago when the first century church lived. We don't live thousands and thousands of years ago when Moses was around in Egypt. We live now. We lived at the front end of the 21st century. Well, the answer to that, I think, is in Paul's words to the Romans. He says this, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished. Notice where he puts the emphasis. I glory in Christ in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, and here it is, by the power of signs and miracles, some verses render that, some versions render that signs and wonders, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit of God. Paul says, it's not just what I've said, it's what I've done, and all of that is through the power of the Spirit of God. And every miracle and every sign that's been performed by the Spirit of God through my ministry has been done by Him, His presence and power. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul makes clear that every miracle he did was by the Spirit of God, and he gives the Spirit of God credit for it. He also notes that the goal of the miracles was to lead people to obey Christ. That was the purpose responding to the good news of God's kingdom, invading the earth. Why do we need miracles today when we already have the Bible, we already have the testimony of everything that Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection? Well, the answer to that question is something I want to uh, attempt to answer briefly, and I want to quote something to you from a vineyard publication. This is called, What is the Kingdom? It's a publication put out by the vineyard, and this is what it says. Pay a little bit of attention to this in order to grasp this. It says this, Theologically, God's future kingdom, where healing and justice and love will reign supreme for eternity, was being brought to the present through the ministry of Jesus. Let me break this up. So in the ministry of Jesus, that future kingdom where there will be healing and justice and love reigning supreme for all eternity, that future kingdom was brought into the present in the person and ministry of Jesus Christ. It goes on. The kingdom of God, God's rule and reign, was being established in hearts and lives as Jesus not only proclaimed good news of God's plan to crush the works of Satan, but he also demonstrated that, the good, that good news by healing the sick, casting out demons, offering radical forgiveness, extending compassion, and delivering the oppressed. 
So Jesus did make that future kingdom known in the present, not just by proclaiming it, but by demonstrating it, and he demonstrated it in the ways that are described there uh, for you and that we see in the New Testament. And then this quote ends with this. Every act of healing, every act of forgiveness, every act of addressing poverty, and we could go on and on, is a foretaste of God's kingdom that will come one day. God's kingdom has broken into the world, and it will break into the world one day. So every time we do something, every act of the kingdom, whether it's an act of healing, an act of forgiveness, an act of addressing and alleviating poverty, or whatever it is that's consistent with the ministry and life of Jesus as his followers, is a foretaste of God's kingdom that is to come. You know, in our day and in our time, we're also called to demonstrate the good news by participating in God's beyond-the-natural ministry that the Holy Spirit makes possible. We're not to take refuge in a naturalistic Christianity because that's not what God... There really is no naturalistic Christianity, and actually, there isn't. There really isn't. But we can fool ourselves, as Chad was talking about earlier, perception becoming reality. We can fool ourselves through a distorted perception that is reality when it isn't. Jesus is our role model for this kind of activity, just as he was for Paul and just as he's been for believers down the last 2,000 years. We don't have to look to somebody else. Jesus is our role model for how to do this. You know, when God does a miracle, he usually does it through people who are willing to take a risk. Now, that's not to say God can't do something miraculous without people. Of course he can. He's the sovereign Lord, so no emails, please, telling me that I'm saying that God can only do stuff through people. Because I get that. I know God's sovereign, all-powerful. He spoke this creation into existence without any of us, right? He sustains it by the word of his power. So he doesn't need us, but he chooses in love to incorporate us into what he's doing and to use us to reach other people. To be those kinds of kingdom people, we don't need to hype things up. I gave you that example of that uh, miracle Jesus performed earlier. He didn't have trumpets blasting and all kinds of paraphernalia going on. He just took the loaves and fishes, he looked up to heaven, he prayed, he broke them, gave them to the disciples and gave it away. You and I can do that, can't we? Can't we take loaves and fish? that he's broken and just give it away to other people? You know, I'm using that metaphorically now, but you know what I mean? We can do that, can't we? Now, of course, when God moves, if we're asking him to move, then we do have something to do with what's happening. All right? We're not just standing by watching. We are involved. We're asking God. We're pressing into him. We're seeking to have the power of God work through us to accomplish what God wants to. Now I'm going to close out with this this morning. Here's just four practical steps. Because you may be thinking, okay, I hear all you're saying, but how do I get from there to here? How do I take that and make that a part of the reality in my life? Well, obviously, it takes God, right? This takes God. All right, so you first need to have him. 
That's the first thing. You need to have the Lord uh, living and working in you through his spirit. And that's as simple as opening your heart to him. So if you're here today, you've never, you've never kind of put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's the starting place. And you can do that today. Just say, Jesus, come live in me. Come live in me. If you do that, God will respond to that prayer, and he will. He'll be present in you through the power of the Spirit. But here's four practical ideas for ways of getting from here to there, from getting from the place of knowing about the operation of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders and miracles and being available to God so he can use us in the process of demonstrating his kingdom power. One, stay in an intimate relationship with God. I mean, God's not a cosmic genie. He's not up there for us. We just rub the bottle and say, hey, God, show up and do this now. This comes out of relationship. The apostle Paul was in relationship with God. Those first century Christians, they were in do-or-die relationships with God. They pressed into intimacy with him. He wasn't just some genie that they called on every now and then to get what they wanted done, done. Remember, miraculous works, signs and wonders, these are demonstrations through the power of the Holy Spirit using people to accomplish God's purpose. Stay in an intimate relationship with God. Press into Him. Love Him. Be loved by Him. Secondly, walk in humility and love in all your relationships. I don't believe God uses, uh, based on the New Testament, declaration of this in more than one place, that if we're in a place of uh, a pride, and it's about us, God's not going to sanction that. We need to be, we need to walk humbly before our God. That's what the scripture says. We need to be Humble, Paul says, in our relationships with one another. We need to love one another, forgive one another, right? This is normative in the New Testament church for all of us. So stay in an intimate relationship with God. Walk in humility and love in your relationships with others. Take a risk by praying for someone to receive a miracle, something from God that is extra ordinary, something that is supernatural, something that they need in the moment or in the season in their life. Take the risk of praying for that. You are not being presumptuous when you do that. There is a difference between presumption and faith. But we are being exhorted here in the New Testament to step out in faith and in the name and authority of Jesus Christ, pray for people to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in their lives. That's faith. That's taking a risk. That's not presumption. I don't have time to go into a whole issue of what presumption is, but maybe another time. And then fourthly, I need to say, and I'm saying all these things to myself (laughs) as much as to you this morning. Stay with it. Make it a way of living. Remember that example I gave of John Wimber for a year and a half praying for people corporately and personally and seeing nothing happen and getting discouraged and disappointed and on the verge of giving up? But he kept persisting through that time. And I don't understand all of the theology of that. You may be smarter than me on this one. I, I just don't. I know this. 
Jesus says we need to persist in faith. We need to keep asking. We need to keep knocking. We need to keep pressing in. So stay with it. Don't be discouraged and give up. Oh, I prayed for somebody and nothing happened. Their circumstance hasn't changed. The, the, the physical condition they're dealing with, they're still dealing with. I'm, I, obviously, I don't, have, you know, I don't have an inside track to God. I'm going to give up. I encourage you this morning, don't do that. Don't do that. God doesn't want you to do that. You know, when the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost, the Scripture records this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. People today need to see the gospel as well as hear it. That's why Paul wrote to the Thessalonians this, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Let's try and live that way.